another edition of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens, below the line, with the movers, the shakers, the film, and TV makers, as we talk to the producers, the writers, directors, the actors, the cinematographers, the production designers, the costume designers, the film editors, sound editors, sound mixers, composers, did I say composers? I, I, I have Brian Tyler on the brain after last night's Yellowstone uh, season premiere. And Brian and Breton's brilliant scoring of the two-hour opener. Um, but we talked to them all. Uh, we've even, recently, we even had Jocelyn Rich on uh, talking about her new book, Battle of the Butts, which, by the way, it came out November 2nd. If you haven't gotten it yet, it is so cute. It is so funny. And it's so educational. Um, it's in an inexpensive book. It's actually quite perfect as a holiday gift for kids and adults, adults with a great sense of humor and kids just because. Who doesn't want to learn about the things butts do in animals besides the obvious? So I just wanted, because I just, I just love the book so much, I just had to mention it to you all yet again. And speaking of books, if you are watching the show... I mean, you can all you always listen to us on adrenalineradio.com, but if you're scrolling through Facebook and you're bored, you can always go to the adrenalineradio.com Facebook page and you can see the live stream because owner Nick likes to play with toys and has what is this thing he has Mevo? Mevo. He likes to do a video stream. Nothing thrilling just me sitting in the studio and I look crappy, but I do nice tablescapes for you. And today's tablescape, this is so beautiful. Netflix, 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 I can't thank you enough. This is spectacular gifties that you sent me um, on Mitchell's, the Mitchell's versus the machines. This is a charming, charming animated film. Do not be surprised if you come Oscar nomination morning that you hear the Mitchells versus the Machines as one of the potential, as one of the nominees for best animated feature film. Um, but Netflix sent beautiful, beautiful uh, the book on the art. And the art, all of this is done by Sony Pictures Animation, but it's, it's for, so if you're watching, if you're looking on your live stream now, Here's just some of, this is the art, some of the art and the inspirations for the Mitchells versus the Machines. And of course, one of the coolest characters, we have our little wooden moose here. Uh, and they very kindly, they also sent a bound uh, version of the script as well as the soundtrack, which is great. And... A DVD for me to watch it again and again. And, oh, and stickers. One can never have too many stickers. And, yes, I will confess that depending on how cute stickers are, I might even stick some on my refrigerator. I'd put them around the studio, but I don't think that Nick would like that too much. So, uh, Pam's making an ugly face, so I know that. Um, but Netflix, thank you, thank you, thank you. This was such a wonderful surprise 
to have at my front door this week. Uh, I opened the door to take out the trash, and I found a box of gifties. Um, so a film to put on your viewing schedule, on your viewing calendar, The Mitchells versus The Machines. It is charming. Um, animated films this year, there are some great ones. Um, you all know, you've heard my love for Vivo already. I, I, it's going to be tough to top Vivo. But then we've got Luca from Pic- Disney and Pixar. Um, but right now, my heart really belongs to Vivo. But there's another film coming out in the coming days. Well, actually, I think next, next couple weeks, in time for, the ho- for Thanksgiving weekend, um, which is Back to the Outback. I can't say anything about it, but come tomorrow, you will be able to hear and read about my interview with the writers and directors of the film, Back to the Outback, as well as see the the full trailer, the first trailer, which gets unveiled at 12 noon today. Uh, The teaser trailer has already been out for a while, but you'll hear, I'll be talking about that more in the future. But a lot of great animated stuff for the kid in all of us. For kids of every age and for the kid inside of all of us. But again, Netflix, thank you, thank you, thank you. This was so lovely. Um, At the midpoint of the show today, very excited. Our first holiday film. We're going to talk about it with the writer, director, and actor Christine Weatherup. See you next Christmas. It is a charmer. It's got some When Harry Met Sally vibe happening with it. Um, So I can't wait to talk to Christine. Uh, And it's all about an annual holiday Christmas party that happens year after year. And you watch the comings and goings of the core group of friends. And trust me, we all know some of the people in this film. Um, So I can't wait for that. Uh, let's see. So, oh, we have a couple more minutes before I get into our exclusive interview. But I would be remiss. All of you know, I'm a diehard Yellowstone fan. And we got our two-hour season four premiere last night. Taylor Sheridan is a god. He is a cinematic god. That was, without a doubt, the greatest season premiere of any show I have ever seen in the history of television. Absolutely gobsmacking, jaw-dropping, heart-pounding, heart-wrenching, clutching your throat, on the edge of your seat, to die for opening. Um, I think everybody in the world has already probably heard by now, but if you haven't, plug up your ears. The Duttons live. You all remember the end of season three. Everybody except Jamie were in precarious positions, all attacked. But you'll be happy to know the Duttons, John, Beth, Casey, they are alive. Eh, a little worse for wear, uh, but they are all with us. The Bunkhouse Boys came through for the Duttons during the attack. And Rip, of course, well... Rips already started his road to revenge. Uh, Paramount was kind enough. Paramount Network, they ran 
Uh, I think they ran the two-hour season premiere. I think they ran it three or four times back-to-back during the night last night. So everybody in every time zone had the opportunity to view it all at least twice. And trust me, you need to. It is amazing. And we got a tease of what to expect with the Dutton prequel. 1883 from Taylor Sheridan, starring Tim McGraw, Faith Hill, and Sam Elliott. Uh, very key, key piece of the puzzle, of the Dutton puzzle, Yellowstone puzzle, was revealed last night through a flashback to 1893, 10 years after the Duttons came to Yellowstone Valley. Um, so it is, this is just exemplary. And I'm putting it out there right now. If the the Television Academy members, you are idiots, idiots, if you overlook Yellowstone yet again for writing, for performance, for directing. It, it This is beyond quality storytelling, beyond. Um, the performances, each is as good as the next, but it's Taylor's storytelling, the crafting of the script, the intricacy of the the stories, the interweaving of culture, the celebration of the Native American past and the Native American history, and trying to bring and shed light on that. And let's face it, shedding more light on, you know, the cowboy culture today, you can't go wrong. And yes, for anybody wondering, yes, Taylor Sheridan did make an appearance again in last night's season premiere as horse trader and horse trainer Travis, um, who's selling multi-million dollar horses to John Dutton. So we'll see what happens with cutting, roping, and bronc busting down the road here this season. Uh, I always love seeing cutting horses. Champion cutting horses and riders are a beautiful thing to behold. And... Uh, Taylor really celebrates that throughout the show. Cowboying today in America, be it on the championship level, be it on the day-to-day level. Um, And it's a way a lot of people don't know, and we get to see it through his eyes on Yellowstone. But uh, if you haven't seen the premiere yet, see it, see it, see it. If you have, watch it again. And, hey, get on social media on Sunday nights at 8 o'clock. Because there are thousands of us that are out there doing live tweeting uh, during the show. And you can get in with all the passion and the joy of Yellowstone. All right. Well, some passion and joy that I've got today is for a new film. Came out Friday, Dangerous. And trust me, it is dangerous. Written by Chris Borelli, directed by David Hackle. It stars Scott Eastwood, Kevin Durant, um, Tyrese, Mel Gibson, and Fonka Johnson. But this film really boils down to Scott Eastwood, Mel Gibson, uh, and Kevin Durant. Absolutely, it is intense. This is, I think, the best performance of Scott Eastwood's career. There is so much nuance in his performance. He is a very quiet man. He has been on house arrest um, for, quote-unquote, murder. But we don't really find out. We get breadcrumbs as to his character Dylan and his story that we don't really get answers to until the third act. But we're watching 
all kinds of crises and action and shootings unfold on an island that his brother owned. And his brother mysteriously died, allegedly falling off from a lighthouse that he was uh, restoring. But there's so much more to this story. And it intensifies when Kevin Durant's character of Cole shows up. We find out that Cole and Eastwood's character of Dylan, they had a prior relationship. Um, we slowly learn it was some kind of mercenary dynamic. Um, but there was more that preceded that. And the way that David has crafted this and giving us bits and pieces and showcasing the cinematography, Mark Dobrescu's cinematography is outstanding, absolutely outstanding. But one of the best, what really makes this film um, is Jackie DeZuba's editing. It is rapier, keeps us on our toes. Um, but what really draws us in and I have to say, I mean, it's not just watching Scott Eastwood and his very quiet performances. Uh, so much of, his, of what we see from Scott is expressive and observant. And Mel Gibson plays his longtime psychiatrist. They're never together. They're always on the phone. Uh, and the comedy really comes from Mel Gibson as a psychiatrist who's self-medicating himself. So we get some lighter moments uh, mixed in with the tension here. But Kevin Duran, whose character of Cole is truly an adversary with Scott Eastwood's character of Dylan, and Cole and his men have essentially hijacked the funeral of Dylan's brother and are holding everybody in the house captive. But nobody knows why. And they're finding out at the same time we are finding out. This is not a case of, oh, we know before they do, and we're just wondering when they're going to clue in. No, this is so artfully done. We're finding out with everybody else as to exactly what is going on. Uh, and it's a wonderful storytelling approach for a story of this nature. But I had a chance to talk with, and Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant, I have been a huge fan of his going all the way back to Mystery Alaska when he played that wonderful lumbering ice skater tree. Um, played with Russell Crowe. Hank Azaria was in the film. Um, I still love Mystery Alaska. It is a guilty pleasure. If you haven't seen it after all these decades, I can't recommend it highly enough. It is wonderful, wonderful film. But more recently, you said that was, I think, his, the last good guy role he's done. And Kevin is more or less taking on roles that have more of a villainous bent to them. Even in 310 to Yuma, he was a police officer in Fruitvale Station. However, we know about the police in the, in the tale of Fruitvale Station. Mortal Instruments, City of Bone, Series Viking, the series The Strain, Swamp Thing, Ballers. Uh, even in Lost, X-Men Origins, he played Wolverine. There's always been a darker side to the characters that Kevin has played. And now with Cole, he really goes to the dark side here. Villainous, psychotic, outrageous. Um, the character is absolutely delicious. I just love 
his character of Cole and what he does. He gives a totally nutjob insane performance, and he gives it a new definition. He's got a great look with his hair, with his costume. It's kind of a steampunk kind of Kiefer Sutherland and Lost Boys look. But Duran has this great emotional presence and matter-of-fact command of the situation that is both chilling and curious. And it's the fact that he is as equally taciturn as Eastwood's Dylan. So that nobody ever know. you know, everybody keeps us in suspense as to what is happening. What is he looking for? Why is he there? Dylan's trying to find out. We want to know. Um, it's... This is where Dangerous really excels. And when you get into the climactic third act of this film, you got a bunker, you got a submarine, you got all kinds of history unfolding. It is incredible. But I was so excited that I got to speak with Kevin Durant about Dangerous. So take a listen to my exclusive interview as he talks about what about the role of Cole and some other aspects of his life and his career. Take a listen. Hello, how you doing? Well, I am so excited to be talking with you in all these years. In my 36 years as a critic, I've never gotten to talk to you, and I have loved your work since Mystery Alaska. Tree remains one of my favorite characters. Fantastic! I love, I love that. That was uh, such a profound experience for me. I absolutely love that. And after that, boy, you you really went you went into the dark side with your performances. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I go I go wherever um, they seem to. Um, I, I I seem to be um, getting more and more uh, requests play these uh, darker, darker characters that, um, that, quite honestly, I mean, they're just kind of really interesting to me from a psychological perspective, you know. Um, I've, I've been reading a lot of, uh, about neurology, neuroscience, and just kind of trying to understand um, how people uh, filter the world differently through their, you know, central nervous system. And it's just so interesting, you know, in this movie, it's like... You know, the main character who is incapable of feeling empathy and, and also incapable of feeling fear, uh, to me, when I read that right from the first page, I was like, good God, that's really interesting. Like someone who's trying to find a way to have feeling. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just, because I'm the opposite. I'm probably described as an empath. So... <laughs> <laughs> interesting to see what's on the other side of the fence and, and just go play there a little bit but always come back home well i gotta tell you as cole boy oh boy are you playing in the big sandbox here what a oh. twisted malevolent you know delicious character my god kevin i you were leaping off the screen as cole You just, and adding so much, not just in your mere presence, but also the Machiavellian sneer that you give 
And then you get into the costuming, very steampunk with the coat and the collar up and the hair. And it was giving me like a Lost Boys kind of vibe, <laughs> very vampiric. And And, you know, I feel badly for you because most of your scenes were outside in the cold. You didn't have the luxury of being in the warm house. Uh, <laughs> you know, for, for a role like Cole and a film like this, how important is that ambient environment that a director plunges you into? Because here you're outside in the cold and the entire color palette kind of mirrors Cole and his mental his mental state his and then we go inside into that bunker which is just yeah. like blow my mind um <laughs> you know how does that inform you in the performance because this is really while it doesn't look that physically taxing once you're outside in the cold, that's taxing. Then you're in this bunker in this action sequence. That's physically taxing. How does that in help inform you? Oh, I mean, I, I, you know, from the very beginning, from the day that I, you know, the, the words on, on, on the page informed me so well, and, and they really reverberated, um, in all of the sets, the, the, the wardrobe, um, you know, the, the, the energy that we were putting forth while making it, um, uh, it was all very, um, it's all very inclusive, uh, an inclusive experience that way, where um, everything was executed in, in, in a way that really shows up on the screen. And I, you know, when I sat down to watch it, I, you know, you just kind of hope while you're making it that that it's gonna work out. You know, every every time every time you you do something, I, I, I always know I'm gonna I'm gonna show up and give everything that I've got because I love it so much and I I, I love the process of of, 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 of of my job. It it's just a dream come true. But then when everybody else approaches it that way with uh, so much care and, and uh and passion um it, it, it just it just popped up on the screen and i was like thank god that's, that's great it doesn't always happen like that you know uh, i gotta tell you this one it just pops on every level i was riveted riveted and oh. when cole appeared um the minute you show up on, on that dock it was like wow there was a tonal shift you know, your presence gave us an a, a complete tonal shift. And then watching this dance, this e elusive dance between you and Scott's character of Dylan. Wow. Wow. 
You know, I don't know who I was rooting more for, for Dylan or for Cole. Um, oh, that's amazing. That's yeah, amazing. Scott so, does a, a terrific job, though, doesn't he? He, 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 he really, um, he, he really prepared for it. I was so impressed with him. I'd never met him before, and you know, he showed up to set um, so bloody prepared and excited and humble, and uh, you know, he was there every day on time knew what he was doing he'd been uh he really approached uh approached the character from uh, a perspective where he really wanted to understand the psychology behind um you know like how how does someone who lacks empathy who has no empathy who has no fear how, how do they process the world around them how do they thrive and um and then how do you try to correct <laughs> what you are um it, it, it just it was just so interesting to me, you know. I I, I think he he uh, he really nailed it. Uh, David Axel nailed it. E- everyone seemed to, to knock it out of the park. So I'm I'm very grateful to be a part of it. You know, it, I know that that with an independent film such as this, rehearsal time is always a luxury. Um, it, it's not like a studio film. It's not like a, a big project. Um, like a series like Vikings or The Strain. So you really, you know, and this has so much action in it as well, especially that climactic sequence in the third act. Did you get a lot of rehearsal time on this one? Is this the type of character where you need a lot of rehearsal time, or is it more coming from introverted, coming from you? Well, you know, I think we were lucky on this movie with... um, with the with the stuff between Scott and I, because we're both, um, you know, pretty versed in 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 um, fighting, stage fighting, mm-hmm. uh, and we we were able to get really vicious and really lean in and go for it, and yet always have that little voice inside kind of going, you know, like I got you, don't worry about it, you know, like I'm not like. So we trusted each other, you know. So when you when you can trust each other, you can really go for it. You know, no one ever has to really get hurt, you know. But um, and and if you have that trust, then 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 you could lean in all the way and just just um, you know let that choreography, that fight choreography, really tell a story, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and uh, yeah, I feel like uh, like it all came across. We were all really happy with it, and and. Uh, you know, we, we unleashed our, our inner demons. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, come on, tell the truth. You were just trying to generate heat so you didn't freeze outside. I know the truth. <laughs> well, you know, I'm actually uh, originally from a place called Thunder Bay, which is uh, 21 hours north of Toronto. Oh, wow. So I was born and raised in, in, in the real cold. So, you know, if... There was one day that caught me off guard. It was the first day on set, and we were out on the docks um, on the lake, and I think it was like something like minus 18, minus 15, oh God. which normally wouldn't bother me, but um, in that clothes and not doing any kind of action, just kind of standing around and, 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 and delivering dialogue. I, that was uh, the first day I was shaking a little bit, and then after that, my my Nordic blood kind of kicked back <laughs> in, and, and and then it didn't bother.
bother me anymore. But that first day, I was like, oh, my God, I keep telling everyone for some fun to say the cold doesn't bother me. Stop shaking. It's embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. So it, it, it didn't get me for a little. <laughs> you know, something that's really interesting about this character of Coldo, um, you really, you hit a home run for me with the scenes involving yourself and our, our wonderful little actor who played, you know, Freddy. Because it seemed like you really gave Cole, there was a line in the sand that he wouldn't cross. He wasn't going to injure a kid. And that, yeah. that little bit of humanity that you, yeah. gave, that you give in that performance and in the scenes where you have with him, absolutely really humanized Cole uh, to a, a big degree that I found really interesting in this film. Oh, that's great. That's great to hear. I'm, 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 I'm glad to see that that came through. Um, I, I was uh, I was quite happy to see the um, the connection that he had too with, with Dylan, like this admiration that uh, uh, that he had for, uh, for for Mr. Forrester because it was, um, you know, he kind of saw him as a little brother, but he was the little brother that just could do things that he couldn't because, you know, my, uh, Cole's lack of empathy or what seems like a lack of empathy is, 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 is through uh, experiencing uh, horrendous things in war. Um, and then finding a way to monetize it and becoming a, a mercenary and, and, and having these group of, those pack of wolves that would go out and do what they had to do to, to get the job done. And, and, and Dylan, because he had no empathy, <laughs> completely no fear, he would do things that the rest of us would just stand with uh, our jaws agape. You know, so now that we were actually on opposite sides of the of the court, it was like, it was, you know, it, it, it was daunting for Cole, um, but he knew what he had to do, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it, 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 it's, a, it's a really great collision um, once we, uh, once once we finally uh, realize that it's him that's on the You know, what so. it, it, at this stage of your career, Kevin, what is it that you really look for in a role? Are you looking for a juicy part that's well written? Are you looking for, is the director of the project the driving force? What is it you look for when a script oh. comes your way now? Uh, first off, when I sit down and start to read a script, I, I, I if I have any kind of um, an official, visceral uh, reaction to the words on the page, um, that's a winner. And then if I have a great meeting with uh, the director or I, I, I know the director's work, um, and uh, you know, it, it's kind of a, an alchemy of many different things. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, it's all about opportunity to, uh, the opportunity to try to be a part of something that I, I believe will be good. That will that will succeed in, 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 in not not in a monetary way, but that will succeed uh, at being what it is on the page, you know. And mm -hmm. if I believe that the people around me and on the team are capable of executing 
quite open too. I'm much more open than I was when I was younger. You know, I, I didn't want to always play the bad guy when I was younger, and, and, and it affected me in a personal way. Now I, you know, I, I, I can completely walk away from these guys and go home and kiss my babies and <laughs> and not carry anything along with me because I'm more self-aware. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a dream role that you would like to tackle out there? So many, you know, eight and a half billion people love to play all of you, but uh, <laughs> um, I uh, I would really like to tackle like uh, some kind of um, you know iconic character that that uh, is just a true onion of a man um, that I could just really exercise uh, my spectrum on, you know. Um, and just truly be challenged by. So, uh, you know, we're on the lookout, talking to a couple of people, we'll see what happens. Well, I can't wait. I can't wait for you to have a role and really get to peel back lots and lots of layers. I mean, with Cole, you really show, I saw a lot of layers in there and that line in the sand of what he won't cross and what he won't do. And I love seeing that in this character and coming from you. One last question before I let you go, Kevin. I'm really curious. You know, you always, you learn something about your craft, about yourself, with every role that you tackle. You know, what did you learn about yourself as an actor with tackling this role of Cole that you can now take forward into future performances? Um, you know, there's always kind of a... Uh, there's a power um, in stillness. Um, there was something with this character when I played him. I, I felt like I, I, I. He was just such a powerful guy. He didn't have to do much mm -hmm. to convey um, his wants and needs. <laughs> <laughs> um, and. Uh, I am, I enjoyed uh, luxuriating in that stillness a little bit more. Um, I was always very rubber-faced, and I'm a giant, you know, man with giant emotions, and and I probably walk through life a lot of the time like a like a giant expressive Gumby, you know. Um, uh, it, it was nice to pull everything back and just kind of, um, you know let the water that's been held up by the dam just come through a little hole, you know? It was, uh, it was, it, it was nice. I'm, I'm experimenting with that a lot more with, uh, with different characters as, I, as I've been continuing to move on since that film. Well, your experiment worked brilliantly with Dangerous. So, oh, Kevin, thank you so much. This has been so wonderful to get to talk to you, and I hope we get to chat in the future. I hope so too, and I, I, I really appreciated the thoughtful questions and your kind words. Thank you very much. And that was Kevin Durand, one of the stars of Dangerous. Dangerous is available now, digital, VOD, I think in some a limited theatrical release as well. It is fabulous. See it. You won't be disappointed with the performances, with the story, with the twists and turns. And now. 
here to talk about our first holiday film of the season, the one and only mm-hmm. Christine Weatherup. Hello, Christine. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> I am so happy to have you here um, to talk about See You Next Christmas. I, yes, yes. It's never too early for a Christmas movie. Just ask Lifetime and I Hallmark. Mean, they started October 1st, I think. <laughs> I would say it's never too early. I'm somebody who could listen to Christmas music in the summer. So, <laughs> Oh, of course. Always. Always. Yeah, year-round. <laughs> I was so happy when Hallmark started earlier this year. Every Friday night, they started running Christmas movies. Just right? Just as a respite. <laughs> as a respite from life. Christmas movies. Um A hundred percent. And See You Next Christmas will definitely become one of my annual Christmas watching traditions. because. Oh, Debbie, that means so much. Christine, this is so much fun. Um, Watching this film, watching you in this film. I mean, I'm no stranger to your performances. Um, I've I've been watching you uh, since Liz's film, uh, Bread and Butter years and years oh, ago that's so kind that's that means so much <laughs> yeah liz and micah actually were on the show back in 2015 talking about bread oh and my butter goodness. uh yeah. Mike, yeah micah's done the show a few times but yeah and then of course you were in and then there was eve with rachel Crow. Yeah, that's right and uh, that one had its uh, a big a big premiering at uh, la film festival uh i think 2017 when it was in culver city so I believe that's right at that arc light when they, yes. they had it back there. Yes, and we had the beautiful, the beautiful Culver Hotel and the Culver Studios, the true mm. history of film. Um, but yeah, no, I've been watching you, and then you've been in Bosch and Townies, and you always you you may come in with a small one-off in some things, but you're always memorable. Um, oh, that means so much. You it, you never know as an actor. You know, you're kind of a visitor on set sometimes, you know, but, but to know that people, people are tracking you is so meaningful. Yeah. It's, and the thing is, as long as you can do all those fun things, even if you, you wonder if it's meaningful or not, as my dad always said, doesn't matter if your name is on the credits, if your name is spelled right on the check and the check clears the bank, that's all you worry about. (laughs) That's fair too. (laughs) But now this one, see you next Christmas. I mean, there are people that kill to get into a Christmas movie because you know you're going to have residuals coming. Now, that doesn't always happen with an indie film like this. (laughs) But to add it into your arsenal, that's a big, big thing as an actor and as a filmmaker. And this is your first feature film as a director. It is. You know, where... And the whole setup of this, of... Everybody coming together at the Clark's family, um, you know, the house of uh, Annie and Tom. You play Annie. Uh, Vin Vessio plays yeah. your husband, Tom. You host the Clark Miss every year. And the same people come, but and new people come as dates and significant others. And we go through for seven years, six, seven years, we go through growth and breakups and hookups and kids and (laughs) stupidity and you know there's always going to be the cliff or the dug yes we all know a cliff and a dug 
who would come to parties. But I, the authenticity of these characters and believability, oh. Christine, I'm watching this and it's like, yeah, I know who that person is. I know well, who I that suppose- person is. It's no surprise that I host an annual holiday party myself. So I have a lot of years of uh, maybe observing all my friends. Oh, (laughs) this is your annual Chrissy-miss, isn't it? This is. This is. It's based, okay, so Clark-miss is based on your Chrissy-miss. Which begs the question, as you watch this film, and as we first, the first Christmas we meet everybody, really, we've got... The stove is smoking. Is something on fire? Is it not on fire? We've got people making out in the bathroom, and they're trying to shove a towel under the door only because, hey, that's what I saw in a movie, and that's what you should do. Um, you've got police showing up. These, are, these antics seem just so oh, run-of-the-mill and matter-of-fact. How many times have you endured those things? Well, fortunately, <laughs> I haven't myself. You know, the kernel of the, the movie is our party. But then I think as I built the structure of the movie, then, you know, the question was, how can I make it more cinematic? How can I make it more interesting? And then these characters, you know, what would happen if we stuck them in a room together? And and then the story kind of came from there. <laughs> uh, you know, so out of the plethora of characters that, that one can imagine coming to a holiday party every year with a core group of friends, um, how do you whittle it down and come up with your core? Because your core is really, it's Annie and Tom, our host. Then we've got Cliff, Doug, Chris, Megan, Jamie, Katrina, and of course, Natalie and Logan. Uh, sure. Our two perennial singles um, who are so, when Harry met Sally, it's not even funny. And that just <laughs> cracked me up. Well, that makes me happy you bring up When Harry Met Sally, because that's one of my favorite films. Perhaps no surprise watching the film. Um, (laughs) Just having those people, you know, who you feel like, oh, they're such a spark, but they are really not ready for each other. Like, boy, he has to grow before she can accept him. And she has to learn a few things before she's ready for a relationship. And so I feel like, you know, the fun of the movie I think as an actor, I love ensembles. Mm -hmm. And so as I started thinking about the sort of quirky cast of characters who I know at our holiday parties, it was fun to kind of build those stories in as sort of B or C stories and see how those characters grow while also having these two main couples, one who's found love, but also has to learn how to maintain it and how it grows and changes over time versus these other two who are seeking love but aren't ready for it and have to grow until they are. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, and what I love is, is I'm watching it. I'm watching the characters of Natalie and Logan, Elizabeth Guest and AJ uh, Miger, and then you uh, and Vin playing Annie and and Tom. And Vin yeah. And I have to say, um, you know, I'm seeing the Billy Crystal Meg Ryan with Natalie Uh. and Logan, even though AJ looks very much like a very young Billy Zane. Um, oh, that's interesting. He always gets Jason Momoa. <laughs> no, he looks like a young Billy Zane around the time that Billy played Cupid on Charmed, the original Charmed. Oh, interesting. Yeah, fair. I could see that. Yeah, very, very much so. And, you know, the whole presence that you and Vin have, it very much felt like the Carrie Fisher, Bruno Kirby roles from When mm-hmm. Harry Met Sally. Mm-hmm. 
but and just watching the, you know watching the coupledom or the non-coupledoms happen um from year to year is hilarious hilarious <laughs> why thank you you know, how did you go about breaking this down into the number of years that you would do um who you were hooking up with who why we let cliff yeah. why we let cliff remain cliff of course cliff just the name. You yeah. think Cliff, you think Cliff Clavin. Um, Cliff <laughs> is Cliff. Uh, and then you get, and the character of Doug, who never loses his nerdiness, nerdiness, nor does he ever stop putting food in his mouth or his pocket. Um, <laughs> yeah. So how, how, do you, how do you stretch this out and, and break this out so that you show growth in these characters from year to year. That's I found that really interesting that you were able to do that where you held on to their main traits but you really mm. showed growth in the characters. Yeah, you know, it's funny cuz I think writing I think every script that I've written has been very different how I approach it and how I get into it and this one it wasn't mathematical per se but I think I knew I love the structure of this ongoing party and then kind of breaking up how many years we would have. I think the original draft had four, Mm -hmm. maybe even just five, maybe it was five, but then this one ended up with six and it was sort of like you, you kind of had to approach it almost like a mini play. So each year was its own. You wanted to have an arc for each year. And then once I built that, then it was like, well, how can, if I know the starting point and the end point for the characters, you know, this person could have a great year this year, but this one, you know, this is the year that they lost their job and nothing's going right for them or, you know, and kind of charting that and weaving that so you make sure that not everybody is having the best year at the same time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, you know, kind of it it became almost mathematical looking at it and making sure each year had enough going on and enough growth and not everybody at the same time having that growth. Yeah, some people just stagnated. Um, Yeah. You know, like... (laughs) You know, like Doug, you know, his obsession mm-hmm. never ended. His gaming obsession, his, you know, <laughs> the, you know, the strange. But, you know, he does grow. He I does. feel like his character does have a nice arc by the end. You don't think he would ever find somebody, but. He does. Alert, uh, and maybe he does. <laughs> and he found a mirror image of himself, too. Which <laughs> Exactly. I think of in Wayne's world when Garth gets a girlfriend. <laughs> that was sort of a little inspiration. <laughs> But, yeah, I I love watching this. And when we get into the final years where, all right, Annie, she's not going to be a mother. She's not going to do the party again. But then the next year rolls around. And, yes, and you see all these other people. But for Natalie and Logan, right. Natalie, she's still single. And the outdoor scene with the adults and mm. the mothers talking about their kids and in-laws and oh, she's coming for three weeks. It's a rest. I'll have a rest. <laughs> and, you know, and the wide-eyed, oh, oh, Natalie, oh, still single. Um, right. It, it, it's so true to life. It, it, it just plays so well. And to see these shifts in people. When they become parents, when they have little kids. Your friends evolve, you know, like you move and then you meet new people. And so there are new people and kind of the question of who stays and who, who, 
you know, how they change is really fascinating to me. And the fact that Annie and Tom got out of their apartment and even bought a house. I know, right? In this market. (laughs) Well, and the amazing thing was is because being a low-budget, no-budget, micro-budget film, um, you were smart from a filmmaking standpoint. You kept this to two locations, the apartment location and then the house. Um, Your Christmas decorations always stayed kind of plain and simple. Well, and I thought there was something fun about, you know, when you have Christmas decorations, you're reusing them year to year. And so kind of finding a few key pieces that move from the house, from the apartment to the house. And then also like how you add and how you sort of evolve was kind of a fun game to play with as well. And then you bring in a Polaroid camera. So you're you're taking, you got to have a Polaroid so they spit out right away. Yeah. It, it's never the same without that instant gratification that you can hold in your hand and tack up on a bulletin That's right, board. That's a little souvenir. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Forget about, forget about disposable cameras. Forget about your phone. No. Right. We want the Polaroid. You can hold it in your hand. You can draw mustaches on it with a marker, which is a lot more, <laughs> a lot more cathartic. Then if you're drawing 100%. on... 100%. Oh. Well, yeah, then you're d- doing it on a digital photo. Yeah. <laughs> so you give us all these fun little things uh, that I just thought are so endearing. And I really appreciate that. And while I'm speaking to the low-budget to uh, location aspect, <laughs> that first location was our apartment. So... So <laughs> it doesn't get more low budget than that when you're shooting in your own home. Okay. Now, how does that work? If you are shooting in your own home, obviously this is not a palatial five bedroom apartment on Park Avenue. Uh, correct. It is a one bedroom mm-hmm. apartment. <laughs> and so that meant that our one bedroom was usually video village, which you know, a one-bedroom apartment, it's not a palatial bedroom. And so we would put our bed on its side so that we could fit all the crew members and people who needed to look at monitors in the bedroom <laughs> while we shot in the living room or the kitchen. And then if we ever had it, you might notice there are very few scenes in the bedroom, but the few scenes we would then have to shuffle everybody out and uh, build the bed again. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, and did you break this down at night so you could actually go to sleep? Correct, yes. And then we would have dinner on, like, an apple box, you know, that night. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, you know, this... Passion ba- project, right? <laughs> uh, th- this is beyond a passion project. This is one of those projects where I say, Christine, did you talk to a psychiatrist before you embarked on this project? <laughs> um, well, fortunately, my husband uh, produced and was on board for this, because otherwise I okay. think a psychiatrist <laughs> might have really needed to intervene. <laughs> That or a marriage counselor. I'm not sure which at that point. <laughs> sure. Um, because you've also got, and I, I was looking at watching this, and I even rewound. <laughs> I even had to go back with the bathroom scenes because oh yeah, that's a tiny bathroom you had. <laughs> yes, it is. That's a tiny bathroom. I don't know how you got two people in there. And a camera. Let like alone camera. Yeah. yeah. Um, of course. Well, the... and then there's the window that they have yeah. to climb through, which my husband and I made sure we could climb through before we could ask anyone else to do that. 
Um, I like the strategically placed trash can outside the window. Yes, yes, just for safety, you know. For safety, and it was full so that when you step on it, you're not going to crash into it and it's not going to fall over. You've got some weight holding it, supporting it. Hundred um, percent. That was a uh, that was a wonderful. I'm sorry. That was a wonderful safety touch. I notice weird things like that. Um, no, I like that you noticed <laughs> it. You're the first person who's pointed that out, and I appreciate it. <laughs> because that required, you know, that was deliberate. It was intentional, and the insurance company, I'm sure, saw that, and they were like so happy. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's a fair point. That's uh, that's you know, but that bathroom. I'm watch that bathroom scene. It's like how. What camera were you shooting on that you could fit it in the bathroom? As well, tiny we were as it was. using a pretty lean camera. We used the Black Magic. Oh. I think it was the 4K, the Pocket 4K. <gasps> so it is very mobile. <laughs> I love the Black Magic, the Pocket Black Magics. Um, mm-hmm. And did you have did you have the lighting pack with it? Um, you know, I think we had a separate lighting pack, if I remember correctly. Because Black Magic um, has some really, some really tight lighting packs that work so yeah. well that are just as compact and minimal as their cameras. Well, and it was it was a great camera to shoot on. It was so mobile, you know. It it was something that we could shoot a feature on, you know, in sixteen days, quickly and moving fast and all of that. Well. And now a question for you with now how much lighting did you bring into your apartment? Did it require you know, a mean, lot or because of the you know the paint on the walls any kind of bounce you're getting? I'm curious about how you worked with that because of the you know it is your house you're not repainting the walls right. that wasn't in the budget. Um <laughs> you know how were you, how were you adjusting for that? We did bring in some lights and we wanted a lot of the lighting you know, practically, you know, motivated. So it came from, you know, so we wired it so it would be our, you know, our, our lamps and things. So there was a lot of that, but, you know, also the lighting sort of shifts through the film. So Mm -hmm. you see in that very first year, the way we shot it was supposed to be the most sort of rough and tumble. You know, these are people out of college. They do this annual party, but they're still, even though they're adults, they're like they're red solo cups at the party. Yeah, they're not you know, adults. There's a certain vibe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they haven't they haven't grown up fully yet. So a lot of the lighting was like, you know, Christmas lights in the hallway and things like that. And each year you kind of see, you know, the first half of the movie was shot all handheld. Mm-hmm. And then we moved to, to sticks. And so you kind of see stylistically how it right. becomes more refined. And I think from a lighting perspective, you see that as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause I was going to ask you about that because uh, your handheld portions, the, we really get the more claustrophobic nature of the apartment. Nothing mm-hmm. is that polished. It's like a college frat party. Everybody is just cramming their way in. And then you've got trash in a plant and you know, you know, Annie is like, who puts this in a plant? You know, things like that. Right. <laughs> and, you know, you've got the big ball, the big bowl of cheese balls that, you know, a cost, yeah. uh, the Costco special, you know, 50 gallon <laughs> drum of cheese balls. Just dump them in into the bowl, which Doug, of course, will then fill his pockets with. But you know, <laughs> it was very, very collegial. 
uh, as Great. we start. That, that was our, our te- that was what we were going for. So I'm glad you picked up on that as well. And of course, the fact that you know, then you add in, you know, you're going to do hot, a hot hors d'oeuvre. Never having done a hot hors d'oeuvre, and you almost burn the house down yeah. with a hot hors d'oeuvre. But you know, we're going to blame Tom for that, not Annie, because Tom was. It, of course, he yeah, was supposed to pay attention. Idea. He's always doing crazy things every year. <laughs> See, you know the the one constant we had up until the final year, though, was Annie's dress and the fact that a woman could wear the same dress for seven years. Um, <laughs> that in and of itself was astounding. I suppose it is a Clarkmas miracle. <laughs> that is, it truly is. It truly is. But that one constant was your dress. Mm-hmm. Everybody else's outfits, they changed, they grew, they got a little more mature. Hair changed. Your hair changed a tiny bit. Not much. Sure. But you were the great constant. Your character of Annie was the real constant. Hmm. And she didn't resort well, and, to, an ugly, the- to ugly Christmas sweaters either. So That's right. Well, and with the dress... You know, I kind of wanted to play with the idea that she felt that tradition you have to, you know, kind of hold on to with a Mm -hmm. tight fist and everything has to remain the same. And so by the end of the movie, you know, she can have the tradition of the party and she can have, you know, she's not losing something by not wearing the dress. Right. You know, that she can grow uh, and accept some change, you know, not too much, but just enough. Yeah. No, I mean, I love that progression. Um, because Annie has been our constant, whereas while much focus is on the characters of Natalie and Logan, it's their mm. instability and their non-committal and the fact that they are just up in the air about everything. Um, yeah. So you need that glue, and Annie is the glue. You are the glue. I appreciate here. that. You know, and it's interesting. You know as director how those roles were similar i didn't consciously think about it when i was choosing to play annie but there is you know this sort of mirroring of the mother hen of the person who's Mm -hmm. kind of taking care of everyone and running the show as a director and then also as the character you know how how difficult was that or challenging was that for you you're wearing the hat of writer director and actor Um, you know, was one fighting with the other? Did actor Annie want to listen to director Annie? Did director Annie (laughs) want to, want to just slap actor Annie upside her head? Uh, you know, how was that drug juggling act for you? That's a great question. Fortunately, I think they all got along. (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, by, in a sense, I felt like I had to do a lot of preparation before shooting more so than probably you would do in any of those roles anyway, even though you do prep a lot in all three of those roles. Sure. I think it was just sort of turned up a notch, but it made me almost the expert. You know, I just felt like I knew what everything needed to be. And I think partially that character is like that too. So it sort of worked really well. I wasn't fighting against that. Mm -hmm. You know, how you, you shot this, and you shot this relatively chronological, did you not? That's correct. So we would shoot, especially in the apartment, because we had access to the apartment. We had a schedule where we would shoot on a weekend, mm-hmm. and then we would take the week to sort of reset the set and let the, the next year happen. And then we would shoot the next weekend would be the next year of the film. And so we did shoot chronologically each year. The only exception is that we had... Um, 
a few shots that were in a car from year two that we shot at the very end. But mm-hmm. otherwise, everything else is chronological. Yeah. Oh, the ice, the ice scenes. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Sending Natalie and Logan out to get ice. Very metaphoric, yeah. <laughs> wouldn't you say? Uh. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. I didn't consciously think about it, but you're right. <laughs> uh, I mean, you could, you know, the two of them were giving each other such a cold shoulder and, and such icy stares mm-hmm. that the ice worked really well in that scene with the two of them. But you have lots <laughs> of little gems you know, little things like that that are happening in this film, Christine, that are just so lovely to see unfold. And, you know, that begs the question about your editing and working with Andy Young, um, because weren't you editing during COVID on this one, during lockdown? That's correct. And, you know, Andy was, from the start, even before we shot, you know, he and I sat down and talked about what we wanted and what it should look like and how, how it would all come together. And he actually is an extra in the third year. So he was on set for some of it, but you know, we had thought we would be, you know, sitting side by side in an editing bay, but because of the pandemic, it was all on zoom, but I can't think of a better collaborator. You know, he was so creative and giving and and saw things that I wouldn't see and, you know, we were just on the same page. And even though we were on Zoom, it felt like we were in the same room, you know, and mm-hmm. it, it didn't hurt the collaboration in any way. So I was very lucky. How difficult was it to find the pacing of this one? Because this wasn't a running stream of consciousness, consciousness or a running scene. OK, it's happening one day after another. It's year to year to year, much like when Harry met Sally. Um, sure. And finding that pacing and giving, quote unquote, equal time for development yeah. in each year, that's tricky. It's interesting because on the script, you know, if you say, you know, a page uh, is one minute on film, some of the, the years are not, there could be a different of five or six pages. But when we got to the final edit, almost every year is exactly 15 minutes, which I think is fascinating. Wow. Um, yeah, which wasn't necessarily intentional. You know, some, I mean, maybe it's, you know, the first year is a little longer because there's a lot of description to kind of explain things. Mm-hmm. But somehow at the end of the day, you know, I think Andy just like intuitively could suss out how much time we needed in certain moments. And it ended up weirdly equal <laughs> for every year. That, I mean, that just impressed me so much. And it didn't feel like you forced equal time. Oh, good. For each of the years. You know, sometimes you look at things, or such as with an anthology, and say, like everybody's got 18 minutes. And you know that, boy, somebody, there was somebody with a whip. Cut that down, 18 minutes, 18 minutes. <laughs> or stretch this out, and you're like, no, we don't need to stretch that no, out. No, <laughs> stretch it, stretch it. Uh, but no, this does not feel like that at all, Christine. It's very, oh, eff- it's very effortless and very natural. Uh, and that be- oh, this begs the question about your music, because you've got scoring, then you've got the, the traditional expected motifs in there. Um, <laughs> you know, what were you looking for musically here? Obviously, you could have gone with just laced it from beginning to end with holiday songs that are in the sure. public domain and won't cost you any licensing fees. Um, (laughs) Well, I'm so grateful. I had an incredible music team. So I had both 
a music supervisor and a composer. So mm-hmm. our music supervisor, Jordan Young, he helped source, you know, music that, and we wanted music that sort of reflected where they were in their times of their life. And so some of those are Christmas songs, right. but with more indie artists. And depending on whether the characters were on the younger side or, you know, six years in where they were a little mature, the tone really changed. And so he was incredible at finding music I would never have found otherwise and finding these incredible artists and putting them, you know, all together and and making it work with the film. And that kind of accounts for that sort of bright party atmosphere. And then on the other side, our composer, Andrew Scott Bell, he, you know, found this beautiful Logan and Natalie theme that's more Mm -hmm. melancholic sort of a different vibe yes but that doesn't feel out of place with the sort of more poppy upbeat music that we have in our soundtrack it really ties it together very nicely because in each one of the years we do get moments of Natalie and Logan together sometimes more confrontational, sometimes a little mm-hmm. warmer, such as sitting on the porch steps. Oblivious, too. What's, uh, <laughs> cops who are co- coming because of noise complaints. And, you know, they're in their own little world. So ha- them having their own motif works really, really well. And then, you, oh, thank you. and then you're keeping the actual, quote-unquote, needle drops. Um, they're still there as an undercurrent. And you switch that mm-hmm. up. That's so beautifully switched up in the sound mix as we go back and oh. forth between the two. Well, shout out to Kevin Rosenquan and Tim Sloan <laughs> in sound because they, they did that. They made that effortless transition. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I noticed that um, when we first, you know, we've got the bathroom, the initial bathroom scene, which was hilarious. Uh, <laughs> and I thought, okay, this is what we're going to get every year. And then you surprised me. Because that's not what we got. And then you change it musically. You change it with lighting. You even change it with the framing. And you come in tighter or you come out wider on the two of them. Um, Because we're really following what these two singles are doing. And how come they're not hooking up. And, you know, what. Right. You know, and of course, when you see the one, Logan brings a lady friend one year. And then we've got Natalie (laughs) with Adler. And it's like. Oh, my God, tell me no. Um. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. <laughs> Paul Welsh is so charming and lovable, but I, I, my worst fear was that people would be like, oh, she should be with Adler. So I'm glad you had that thought. <laughs> oh, God, no. That was the, <laughs> good. oh, my God, what is she thinking? That was my thought. <laughs> um, that was a no. Good. No. That's what I wanted you yeah. to think. Oh, that's exactly what I thought. So now at the end of the day, Tomorrow the film comes out. Oh, yes, it does. I'm so excited. Everybody gets to see it. It will be digital uh, and VOD, yes, or just digital? Yeah, so it's on, it'll be on Apple, iTunes, um, Amazon, Voodoo, Xbox, the usual uh, suspects. And then, you know, the the neat thing about a holiday film that I hadn't even thought about when I was first, you know, coming up with this idea is that. There's the annual nature of it. And so next holiday season, we're hoping to do subscription. So that'll be when it moves to those platforms like Hulu, Netflix, et cetera. Next year, you should be doing DVD and yeah. DVD and Blu-ray, especially DVD, yeah. and do a director's commentary as a bonus extra. I like the way you think. I, that's a great idea. 
That's what you should do. Once you, you've established yourself in the Christmas realm, okay, then yes. next year, let's pop that little, pop that little puppy <laughs> out so everybody can just I bring it home. I love you think. <laughs> My mind works well, in weird ways. And I think there ways. is a sort of annual, because the nature of the movie is this sort of episodic, you watch every year, there is, uh, at least, I mean, I've watched it a lot, but there is this hunger of like, oh, I could watch this next year, too. So yeah. I'm hoping people, audiences will feel that same way. I mean, that's the first thing that I thought, um, you know, and it's just the other week. I mean, last season, Hallmark debuted um, The Christmas Waltz with Will Kemp, one of the most beautiful dancers around, um, <laughs> and Lacey Chabert. Um, and I watched it countless times. And then three o'clock in the morning the other night I was just getting ready to turn the TV off and I went oh, it's on I've got to watch it again and <laughs> I know, mean that's what, what filmmakers want to hear about all their films I hope audiences are just like you well and the thing is I know I will be able to I will be able to see this and having seen it at least once when I see it pop up somewhere I will stop on it and I will watch yeah. it again well, and there are little Easter eggs that you yes. notice, I think. I mean, obviously, I'm very close to the film, so I know every single Easter egg. But, you know, repeat viewings, you do get little details that you might overlook on the first view. Yeah, like pine cones and lights. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, Just like that. One, well, I got one last question for you, Christine. This is so much fun talking to you. Um, I know. I could do this all day. <laughs> but I've got to ask you, you made it through. First feature, writer, director, and you're directing yourself. What did you learn about yourself as a director, as a filmmaker, ta tackling all of this in a holiday film, no less, that you can now take forward into your future projects? And I know you're getting ready to start another one, Into the Fog. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> That is correct. I'm already thinking about the next one. Um, you know, the thing that I think... And I think there was, you know, a degree of fear being an actor-director of will I be able to do both? You know, those are demanding jobs, just one of them. You know, to do them both at the same time, what will that be like? And, you know, I didn't feel that it ended up being that challenging, but the reason I didn't is because I had such an incredible team around me. Mm -hmm. And I think the job of the director, you know, you're guiding the ship, but you, you know, I think... It took me a while to own the title of director and saying that I wanted to, you know, jump in and do that. And part mm -hmm. of that was I felt like I had to be an expert. I had to know every kind of light and every, you know, every detail of every department. And, of course, the more you know, the, the better that is. But if you surround yourself with collaborators who you trust, then, you know, you're all on the same page and you're all working together. And the product's better because you have all these different minds adding to the, the pot. And so I think the biggest thing I learned is cultivating those creative relationships. And, and it also just makes it more fun, <laughs> you know? Well, it's very clear that you and your entire cast had fun making this one because it does, it does come through on screen, Christine. Oh, good. Um, you really it can It was a blast. You really can tell. Some people say, oh, you can't tell when an actor has a really, they didn't enjoy the experience. No, you can tell. There's always mm -hmm. just that little extra spring in the step or a little extra glint or, you know, the sm a little wider smile. Um, it yeah. shows. People had fun doing this. And 
everybody's going to have fun watching it, too. Oh. Can I ask you a question, Debbie? I like to ask. Of course. What would you <laughs> like I put, to I love asking what is everyone's favorite year of the film. All my cast, oh. I always, and, and sometimes it changes from viewing to viewing, but I'm just curious if you had a favorite year. Wow. I know, right? Sorry to put you on the spot. <laughs> well, I love year one because of the hilarity and insanity of the bathroom sequence. That makes me so happy. You know, it's when I ask this question, I always get a different year. And uh, year one is not like the most popular one I get. So that makes me really happy. I love it because it sets a tone of hilarity, of fun, of laughter. Mm. Um, albeit with the kitchen, you know, the oven smoking in a fire, potential fire hazard. Um, of course, that relates to any time my mother ever cooked. So that could be what attracts <laughs> me to that year. Um, but I really like that one because it is, it's so funny. It's laugh out loud funny and it sets the tone. Um, I do like, I like that the year Adler shows up only because Mm, it really, I love that. It makes me hate Natalie because she's so dumb. (laughs) It makes me hate Logan because He's like standing there like a wounded puppy dog and doesn't open his mouth. <laughs> so I get to not like those characters. That's good. That's good. I mean, that's the purpose, you know. So you gave me the best of both. I get to laugh hilariously at, the, at these characters. And then I get to sit there and want to throw things at them because they're both idiots. Mission accomplished. Then. So, you know. Those, I would have to say, those are my two. That's it. That's it. Those are my two. I love those choices. You passed the test, Oh, God. (laughs) It wasn't a test. Don't worry. Oh, my God. It's like being in school. Am I going to get an A or not? (laughs) Oh, no. A plus. A plus. (laughs) Oh, Christine, this has been so, so much fun. I hope you'll come back on the show again. I hope you'll have me. I would be delighted. Uh, You have an open invitation. Believe me. Well, I'll take you up on an that. An open invitation. <laughs> oh, Christine, thank you so, so much. And I look forward to the next time and the next film. Yes, yes, me too on both accounts. <laughs> oh, thank you, Christine. Thank you. I'll take care, Debbie. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Christine Weatherup. See you next Christmas. It is out on all the digital platforms tomorrow. And yes, we went way over today. But it is our first Christmas film of the year that we're talking about. So, uh, it's allowable. That is all the time we have today. We'll be back next week. Maybe with some more cool table, new Tablescape items. Uh, and... Another exclusive interview. And I can't say which one yet because it's embargoed. Uh, and another live guest so until next week oh and don't forget sunday night next episode of yellowstone eight o'clock on paramount network until next week i'm debbie elias this is behind the lens